Dr. John, I'm not sure if I should thank you for the story. My girls were part of the, the numbers of those that do not have pets yet. So for the next 30 days, I'll be hearing, can I have a horse? And I'll be calling you to listen to that. Uh, church family, you'll have to apologize for my voice. Uh, I do not have a better one at this stage. I tried to get my wife's voice, but she said no. And then I talked to the church elders, and they said, no way, boy. And this is what she's getting today. Um, I was wondering the whole week if I should be preaching because the virus was so strong. But then I was looking at my sermon title, and I said, my mess, his message. And I said, well, that's perfect. I'm a mess today, but it will be God's message. And it's been my prayer for the whole week that uh, despite my weakness, uh, the Spirit of God will uh, help you to hear what you need to hear today. Because I believe you have come here with various uh, troubles, worries, and problems in life. Uh, we all have uh, difficulties and things that we wrestle with. And I believe the Spirit of God will, uh, will take things to your heart and to your mind that you need to hear today. This morning I want to start by asking you maybe an uncomfortable question. And that is, have you ever struggled with doubt in your life? Have you ever struggled with doubt? Would you be brave enough to, to put your hand up? Wow. I'm glad I'm not the only one. You know, people in general, they, 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 sometimes they doubt their spouse's love. They doubt their children's honesty. Sometimes people doubt themselves. And most of the times for us Christians... We end up doubting God at some stage in life. Have you been through that? Or maybe you're going through that at this very moment. Doubting God. There comes a time in life when the only thing you can do is to take your head and put it in the palms of your hands. And you say to yourself, I can bear no more. I've had enough. Why me? Why is this happening now? Why is God so silent? Why does it seem to be so distant? Why can I feel so present when I need Him most? We all go through doubt, especially when life turns out to be quite ugly. And when things don't go according to plan. But as we go through the Bible, it is encouraging to know that some of the greatest prophets of the Bible have experienced doubt. They have wrestled with doubt. And one of them was John the Baptist. And this is his story. This morning we'd like us to take a, a bit of time to look at his life and then his doubt and eventually his assurance. Because we want to go from here with assurance in the midst of the doubts that we might be having. Maybe it's hard for us to understand how significant was John in his day. John the Baptist. You need to see that in the first part of the Bible, 
what we call the Old Testament, for the first 4,000 years, God communicated to his people through various prophets like Abraham, Moses, Elijah, you've got uh, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and the last one was, the last one was Malachi. The last one was Malachi. But now from the death of Malachi to the birth of John the Baptist, there were 400 years where God did not speak to his people. God did not send an angel. God did not send a message. God did not send a vision. God did not perform a miracle for 400 years. And then all of a sudden, John the Baptist comes on the scene of history. But it was definitely part of God's timetable. Emerges this, this prophet. There was nothing fancy about him. He was wearing camel's hair. He was eating honey and locusts. And he was preaching a message that was bringing hope to people. He was encouraging them to repent and be baptized. You see, John the Baptist was very upfront. Especially with the religious leader. He would call them brood of vipers. You should truly repent. John the Baptist was so popular that he did not even have to go into a city because the city would come out to him. People were hungry. They wanted to hear the voice of God because for a period of 400 years they went through an icy silence where God was not communicated to them. And all of a sudden... John the Baptist is the voice of God in the wilderness. And John was very clear about his mission. He was very clear about his identity. He was very clear about his purpose. As he was preaching, he knew what he had to do. He had to clear the way. He had to prepare the way. And he had to get out of the way. Because the Messiah was coming. He had to clear the way, to prepare the way, and to get out of the way. And the highlight of John Baptist's ministry, and probably the end of his ministry to some extent, was the time when Jesus came to him to be baptized. As Jesus approached John, John said to him, Lord, I am not worthy to untie your sandals, much less baptize you. But because Jesus insisted, John baptized him. And at that very moment, John the Baptist, and I'm going through this because I'd like to build a case and I'd like you to to collect all the elements. At that moment of baptism, John the Baptist saw the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus Christ in the form of a dove. John the Baptist heard the voice of God the Father from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. John the Baptist, and here's the key word, had no doubt that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. I'd like to say that again. John the Baptist had no doubt that Jesus was who he claimed to be, the Son of God. John the Baptist had all the evidence he needed to have in order to believe that Jesus was the Son of God. After that baptism, they parted ways. And because John the Baptist was a bit bold in his preaching, he was a bit upfront. 
He started to preach about the king, King Herod, saying, you know, king, you're living in an illicit or illegitimate relationship. And Herod said, do you talk to me like that? I'll throw you in a dungeon. And John the Baptist ended up in a dungeon. Now, the dungeon back then is not like the prison we're having today. The dungeon was pretty much a hole in the ground, and John the Baptist was probably there with other men. There was no sanitary facility there. Probably they had rats biting at their toes. They hardly had any water and any food. And John the Baptist did not stay there for an hour. He did not stay there for a day. He did not stay there for a week. And he did not stay there for a year. After 18 months... In that dungeon, with hardly any food or water, with rats all around you, John the Baptist started to doubt. After 18 months of misery, after 18 months of disappointment, after 18 months of questioning, John the Baptist started to doubt. And what I find interesting is that when life turns out ugly and life circumstances change and things don't go according to plan and we don't see an opening out of this, The assurance that we once had is all of a sudden nearly gone. Not gone, but I'm saying nearly gone. And I know that as I stand before you and for those that are watching us on TV, you definitely went through times in life where life turned out to be quite ugly. And maybe you started to wonder, what's next? So I'd like us to look at this uh, passage in Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verses 18 to 20. And these are the verses that describe John's doubt. Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verses 18 to 20. Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. And if you read the story before, they were reporting the things that Jesus was doing in the surrounding areas. Verse 19. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, he sent them to Jesus saying, Are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? Verse 20, when the men had come to him, they said, who's inquiring? John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the coming one or do we look for another one? 
In other words, John the Baptist is asking this exactly. Between the lines, this is what you're reading. Jesus, if you are the Messiah, how come I'm living in this misery, in this dungeon? I was the guy that cleared the way, prepared the way, got out of the way for you. And this is what I get in return? If you are the Messiah, how come you're not sending angels to deliver me from this very ugly situation in which I am facing? If you are the Messiah, how come you're not overthrowing this government that is bringing so much pain into my life? If you are who you claim to be, how come you go around helping someone else but not me? Have you ever asked these questions? How come God you answer John's prayer but not my prayer? How come you healed Mary? Why are you not healing me? How come you protected their children, but my children are gone? Have you asked these questions? You see, John believed that the role of the Messiah was to get rid of the Roman Empire. Or at least one of the roles. John did not know that before Messiah would establish his kingdom, he had to suffer for the sins of many. Before Messiah would wear many crowns, Messiah would have to wear the crown of thorns. Before Messiah would be able to sit on the throne, he actually had to be on the cross. John did not understand God's ways. And I'm afraid that is the same time there's the same thing with me. And I know that I'm to some extent younger than some of you and I haven't experienced the level of tragedies, pain, sickness that some of you have. But let me put it this way. Sometimes we don't Always understand what God is doing. When tragedy hits the life of a godly man or a godly woman, doubt creeps in. When cancer takes away the very one we love and the one we pray for, doubt creeps in. When a child dies, when family breaks apart, when relationships fall, we wonder, God, where are you in these moments? Are you the one? Are you real? You said, call upon me and I will answer you. I have called upon you, Lord. Where are you? Can you understand what John the Baptist was going through? He's been in that misery for 18 months. And we've been through various circumstances in life for many months or many years. And at some stage, sooner or later, doubt creeps in. 
Someone said this, Sometimes we have to go through the foyer of doubt before we enter the sanctuary of certainty. I'll read that again. Sometimes we have to go through the foyer of doubt in order to enter the sanctuary of certainty. If you're experiencing doubt at this very moment, if you're doubting God, if you're experiencing problems, if you're experiencing uh, disappointments with God, discouragements, you are not alone. You are not alone. So what shall we do with our doubts? What shall we do with our doubts? The reason why we read this passage is I'd like to encourage you to do what John the Baptist did. Send your doubts to Jesus. That's what John the Baptist did. He was doubting him and he sent his doubts to Jesus. There's no better way of dealing with your doubts than sending them to Jesus. And let's see how Jesus responded to his doubts by looking at uh, Luke 7, verses 21 and 22. At that very hour, so the, the disciples of John come and they ask you, are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? And the interesting thing is this, Jesus does not answer anything. Just pick that up. Jesus does not answer anything. Look in verse 21. At that very hour, Jesus cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits. And to many blind, he gave sight. Before he spoke, he acted. And then he said to those people, he answered to them and he said to them, Go and tell John the things he have seen and heard. That the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And what Jesus is doing here, he's making an allusion of a messianic, to a messianic prophecy from Isaiah chapter 61 verses 1 to 3. And what he's doing is this. He's turning John back to the scripture. In the midst of his doubts, Jesus is turning John back to the scripture. But there's also something that I really like here. The way Jesus reacts to John's doubt. And I'd like you to pick up on this. The way Jesus reacts to John's doubt. When the disciples of John came to Jesus asking, are you the coming one? Jesus could have said, are you kidding me? He was there with me in the water. He saw the Holy Spirit. He heard the voice of God. I cannot believe John is doubting me. That's so disappointing. I had enough of him. I don't want to hear of him anymore. I don't want to talk to you. Just get lost. Go away. Go back to him. Did Jesus react like that? No. He was not embarrassed of his friend that was doubting him. 
He was not angry with his friend that was doubting him. God never rebuke, sorry, God never rebukes anyone who comes to him with sincere questions or doubts. Isn't that a beautiful picture of God? God never rebukes anyone who comes to him with sincere questions or doubts. He hears them and then he answers them. He gave them the assurance, I am the Messiah, but my work is different. And this is what he says to John's disciples, verse 23. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. In other words, Jesus was saying this, John, you don't understand my method. You may not grasp my ways and my timing, but I want you to hang in there. I want you to trust me. I want you to finish the race. So how does Jesus deal with John's doubt? First thing Jesus did was Jesus refocused John's priorities. Jesus refocused John's priorities, saying he was expecting the overthrow of the kingdom, but Jesus was coming to bring forgiveness for the sins. In Isaiah, we are told that our ways are not his ways. And our thoughts are not his thoughts. And in the midst of doubt, Jesus wants us to refocus our priorities. Number two, Jesus used the scripture to bring John back to what really mattered. Jesus used scripture to bring John back to what really mattered. And I cannot emphasize enough how important it is for every single one of us to immerse ourselves in the Bible, the Word of God. When you're in a time of pain, when you're in a time of doubt, when you're in a time of perplexity, get into the Word of God because that is the only antidote we are given. Someone made this statement. You need to believe your beliefs and you need to doubt your doubts. You need to believe your beliefs and you need to doubt your doubts. And point number three that Jesus asked John to do was, John, Jesus asked John to trust him despite the circumstances. So I'll repeat the first, the, these three points. Jesus refocused John's priorities. As in, my ways are not his ways. My thoughts are not his thoughts. Number two, Jesus used scripture to bring, G, to bring John back to what really mattered. And number three, Jesus asked John to trust him on this one. Just trust me on this one. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12 says this, For now we see through a glass darkly, 
But then we will see face to face. Now we know in part. Things do not make sense. We do not understand. We cannot put them together. Now we know in part. But then shall I know even as also I am known. I'm aware that we all have questions. And we, we wonder why is God working in a particular way and not in this way. And the Bible tells us that when we'll be able to go to heaven, we'll be able to come before Jesus, we'll come before Him, and we'll be able to ask those questions. But I've got this feeling that when I get to heaven, and I'll see the face of Jesus, and I'll see His eyes, the only thing I'll be able to say will be this. Regarding those questions, never mind. Never mind. Because this is good. This is good. Have you struggled with doubt? Or maybe you're struggling with doubt? Or maybe you'll be struggling with doubt. As human beings, we cannot avoid it. It happens. But I want you to bear this in mind. It is only Jesus Christ. He is the one that can turn your messy situation into a message. He is the one that can turn a test that you may be going through into a testimony. He is the one that can turn a trial into a triumph and a victim into a victory. He is the one that invites you to trust Him at all times, at all costs. Joseph Scriven, some of you might know him. Joseph Scriven was born in 1819 Ireland. He was born in a wealthy family, which meant he received a very good education. As a young man, he fell in love with a young lady. Isn't that romantic? I find that beautiful. As a young man, he fell in love with a young lady. And they were ready to spend the rest of their life together. They got engaged and they were planning to get married. However, on the day before the wedding... The bride-to-be fell from her horse while she was crossing a bridge and she drowned in the water beneath it. As a believer, Joseph really struggled. Why? But he took his doubts in prayer to Jesus. Joseph began to wander from place to place, and life took him to Canada, where he started to cut wood. He never thought he would love another young lady. He never thought he was going to fall in love again. But he discovered another young lady, and he did fall in love with her, and they did get engaged. 
and they were planning to get married very soon. Tragedy struck again. This time, the beautiful lady died of pneumonia before they could even get married. Once again, his heart was devastated. The old wounds were reopened. But Joseph Scriven decided to hold on to Jesus even more. As he was dealing with the death of his first fiancée, as he was dealing now with the death of his second fiancée, he got a telegram, so not a telegram, a note coming from his mom back in Ireland saying that she's very sick. And because Joseph wasn't well enough and he wasn't wealthy enough to travel back home, he decided to write a poem to send it back to his mom to bring her comfort. He allowed God to take his mess and make it his message to bring comfort in someone else's life. And this is what Joseph Scriven wrote. Some of you might know the words. Dear Mother, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and grief to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus shows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. As we close this morning with this beautiful hymn that came out of a life of pain, that came out of a lot of mess, but God made it his message. I encourage you to take your doubts, to take your sickness, to take your problems, your discouragement, your anxiety, your worries, whatever you may have your heart, on your heart before God in prayer. Allow him to take your mess because he will make it his message. Amen.